When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes where we look back at Risk content from our earlier years. Now, for a long time now, the first two years' worth of Risk episodes, the ones from October of 2009 through October of 2011, have been behind a paywall. But that's been a little confusing for a lot of Risk fans who are always telling us they didn't even know those first two years worth of episodes existed. So we thought it would be fun if every other Thursday now, we re-ran an entire episode from the very earliest days. This week, the second ever Risk episode from October 20 of 2009. It's an episode we call, Why Did I Do That? I'm talking about taking a risk. That is correct. You are listening to Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and our theme today is Why Did I Do That? Those times in life when you surprise yourself. And I don't mean happy, fun time surprises. I mean, we're about to hear some pretty damn feeble attempts to explain some inexplicable behavior. We're going to start with someone with a -a one-of-a-kind voice. He's been so good to us here at the show, and he's also won the Moth Storytelling Competition so many times it's difficult to keep track. This is Adam Wade with a story we call Cruel to be Kissed. In eighth grade, we had the Washington trip where we would go to, from New Hampshire, where I'm from, originally from New Hampshire, and we'd go down to um, Washington. There was a big eighth grade trip, Washington, D.C., for four days and four nights. And for me, it was a huge thing because I, um, I'd never been home, away from home for, for any time without my parents. So we get there, and, and uh, what I find out is we're eating all fast food. Like the teachers that are the chaperones, we have all fast food vouchers, and my whole digestive system was in a flux. Um, and then uh, my friends, who I was very good friends with, uh, for some reason they didn't want to sleep through the whole trip. They were like pillow fights, water balloon fights in, in this room, and like I need eight hours sleep to function. And then the last thing was um, I had never gone number two anywhere but at my parents' house or my grandmother's house. So here I am for four days, and I just it was just very tight. Um, and the last night uh, of the trip was our um, the boat trip, and they were going to do a cruise. And this was supposed to be the, the, the biggest night. And my crush, was, her name was Sarah O'Donnell, and she was my first girl that I, I, I had a nocturnal omission. I had not done anything dirty before that, and I had not been able to figure things out, I would say. 
But that happened, and it was to her, and she was a very, like, our crumb would, would love her because she was a very, like, an, like a, she's a really not, she was like an Amazon woman, and she was the only woman, I mean, compared to even the teachers, like, she just had, like, a, an amazing body. She came up to me, and that was good because I'm a very vulnerable and, and shy, and, and I needed her to do all the work, and she said, come upstairs with me, and let's go on the deck. And I go, Yes. So we get there and we start, we, I look at her and she's looking at me and I go, now like, this is my huge moment. And, and, and I leaned over and, and I kissed her on the cheek and it was a closed mouth kiss. And to me, it was like the greatest thing. And she turned around, she like grabbed me by the back of the head, almost she like pulled my hair because I had like a mullet. And uh, she pulled and she just threw her tongue like through my mouth and down my throat. And it was just, and she just started like kind of like epileptic seizure moving her face and it was just like the time it was just and i was like what and then it hits me like the, the sexual emotion combined with not sleeping um eating all fast food and not going number two i just this sudden urge it was it, 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 like a flash i just projectile vomited all over her and it went everywhere and I panicked, and I don't know like how to, how I what I actually I didn't black out, but from there to the steps, all I remember is having throw up on my pants and just going and, and going into the stall and just washing them off. So then it, I mean, then I got most of, but I don't know what happened to her. I just left, and 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 and, and I was like scared, and, and it died down, and I made sure I avoided her. And the rest, you know, the day the bus trip back and stuff, I sat across on the bus. So the next Monday at class, Monday at, at, at Hillside, um, it was after the trip and all the kids started gossiping on what happened. And I was hearing rumors around school that I had made out with a girl and I had made out with Sarah O'Donnell. And part of the rumor was that she had the gall to say I was a bad kisser. And that really hurt me because, yeah, like, beyond being shy i was extremely insecure so i i was i flat out denied it i said i never kissed her and when there was no proof and i to this day like i always tell people my first kiss was not her adam wade you can find him at adamwade.com next up we have andrea rosen you can find her on tv or in movies all the time now she's popping up everywhere now we mean no offense to gary's by including andrea's story here which is pretty much the reason we call it no offense to gary's a couple of years ago i was um i was like single and um and and I was kind of obsessed with this girl who I would see around at auditions. And I was obsessed with her because she had a unisex name. Her name was Mitchell. Um, and also she had one of those like voiceover voices like this. And she was like, hey, how are ya? And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, and she'd be like, yeah, me and my boyfriend, we're just going to Fire Island this weekend. He's a DJ. And I was like, oh my God. Like, in my mind, she was just the coolest person in the world. So one day she said to me, hey, Andrea, are you single? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I think I have a guy for you. And I was like, really? Is he a good friend of yours? And she was like, yeah, he's like my best friend. 
And I was so psyched because I was like, if things work out with me and this guy, then like he and I will get to go to Fire Island with her and her DJ boyfriend and we'll raise our kids together and have Thanksgiving <laughs> together and like I'll be really good friends with Mitchell. She'll be like a soul sister or something. So I was like, yes, I totally want to go out with him. And she was like, all right, I'll give him your number. His name's Gary. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right. I mean, yes. Um, I mean, no offense to any Garys here, but it just didn't sit well with me. Um, so my phone rings, and this guy's like, hey, it's Gary. And I was like, you know. And I was like, hi. And uh, he's like, so, you know, friends with Mitchell, you know, you want to, you want to, get together and I was like yeah sure and he was like so what about going to the farmers market on Saturday and I was like mm. and he's like you know around noon I was like well I guess I'll drink before then is what I was thinking um, he was like we'll just you know walk around and get to know each other and I was like okay and and I go well how will I know it's you and he's like I'm wearing a black shirt and I was like okay so I get, I was like, that is, there are going to be so many people wearing black shirts at the Union Square Farmer's Market. So I show up at noon, I look around, and it was like so obvious who Gary was, because he was like such a Gary. Like he was like, just like big and blobby, no offense to any Gary's, but he was just really big and blobby and his face was like a big marshmallow blob and like his body was just like so puffy underneath his black shirt and I was like, Gary? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so we walk around the farmer's market and he asked me if I read Martha Stewart Living Magazine. And I do. <laughs> and he was like, well, so you know the cookie of the month, huh? And I was like, yeah, I do. Chocolate molasses. He was like, yeah, it is to die for. You've got to make it. And I was like, I was thinking about making it. I guess I will now. Um, I just was like, is this the conversation I'm having with Gary on our first date together? It just didn't sit right. So then we got into normal, like, get-to-know-you conversation. Where are you from? And I said, Roosevelt Island. He goes, that's weird. I was like, I know, I know. Um, he was like, do you have any brothers or sisters? Two brothers. Where have you lived? I said, New York, San Francisco, L.A. Oh. I go, what about you? He goes, Hoboken. I'm old school. <laughs> Um, and then, and then he, he goes, um, and then like, you know, in the movie Dirty Dancing, uh, that moment when Jennifer Grey, um, first like interacts with Patrick Swayze, she like goes to the staff kids party and she's like carrying a watermelon <laughs> and he like, Patrick Swayze like dances up to her and he's like, and she's there with his cousin and, she, and so Patrick Swayze says to the cousin, What's she doing here? And then the cousin doesn't say anything, but, but Jennifer Grey, she's like carrying this water. She goes, I, I carried a watermelon. And then, and then Patrick Swayze just look, looks at her and like, 
dances off. <laughs> and she's just like left there, and the cousin's like, ooh, you know, and she's like, she's, she goes, I carried a watermelon. Like she couldn't believe she said it. Um, so I had one of those, I carried a watermelon moments with this guy, Gary, who I didn't even like. Um, he said to me, he goes, are you, are you conservative or are you liberal? And I was like, I'm not conservative, but I like my bush. <laughs> and like I said it in that weird voice and it just like came out of me and landed and I was so revolted with who I was I just couldn't believe I said that and he kind of shuddered as he should have um and then it was like, I was like, I've got to get out of here. And it was one of those weird, like, divine moments where all of a sudden my mom was at the farmer's market. And I was literally like, Mom! 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 I was like, Gary, I can't believe I'm running into my mom. This is crazy. I mean, how random is that? Mom! And she like came over to me even she was like are you okay and I was like Gary I gotta go my mom's here um, it was like the perfect weirdest lamest blow-off but like my mom really was there so then Gary left and I was like mom I gotta go um, and then I went home and then Gary did call me like a couple days later he was interested and I I wasn't um, so we didn't, we didn't continue our romance at all. But I did run into Mitchell shortly after that, probably like a month or two after my blind date with Gary. And she was like, oh, hey, Andrea. And I was like, hey, Mitchell. And she was like, did you hear about Gary? And I was like, no. And she's like, he's gay. And I was like, what? But I just went out with him like a month and a half ago and she was like, he's in love with a guy. <laughs> and I just was like, that is so weird. He's like in his 30s, he suddenly turns gay. Like, really? And I just was like kind of thinking about our date and like thinking about Gary and just thinking like envisioning him with his new boyfriend who he's so in love with and like they're all post-coital and, and his new boyfriend's like so Gary you know when did you know you were gay and he's kind of like well um I was like on a date with this girl and she was kind of I asked her if she was liberal or conservative and she said she wasn't conservative but she liked her bush it was right around that second that I kind of knew I was gay and I'm not at all saying that like I turned Gary gay I didn't I definitely did not because I'm not like that powerful at all but I do think I do think he when I went on that date with him he was like like here's the line of like of like he, here's heterosexuality and here's here's gay people and I do think that he was just standing on that line and then and then he ran into me and we had our date and it was just like I just kind of went Ha, 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 ha.
I just <laughs> ding. And there he was. Thank you very much. Jesse Krakow getting very 1970s there. Hey, podcast listeners, did you know we need money? We really, really do. We simply can't keep the show this loaded with good stuff without the funds to keep the machine running. And we take donations through a nonprofit, so for donors, it's all tax deductible. So whether you can spare a little or a lot, we really do need all the help we can get from the people who enjoy what we do. Write to Kevin at risk-show.com. Next up, we have the lovely Elna Baker. Remember that name. We call Elna's story the Snow Queen. Well, when I was in high school, I was chubby but not actually chubby. It was more actually clinically obese. And as an overweight girl, I was like the queen of crushes. But of all my crushes, there was one that topped everyone, and his name was Dan Sabo. I joined drama club just to get close to Dan Sabo. And uh, we, it worked. We ended up becoming friends. But the only reason we became friends was because of my religion. I'm Mormon, and Dan is a non-denominational Christian. After drama club, we would go and sit in Dan's car and get in these intense religious conversations where he would ask me, you know, like, Elna, what do you think the meaning of life is? And he would just get so excited about God and and these ideas that it honestly looked like he was about to wet his pants. And I would spend the entire time just imagining these scenarios whereby we would end up making out. You know, would it be that he would lightly brush my hand on the steering wheel? What would be the catalyst for it? And then one day, we were sitting in the car, and um, Dan started talking about snow and how much he loved snow and the purity and the whiteness and how it showed him about God. And so I say, I've never seen snow, which um, wasn't true at all. Like, I've been skiing. I've been to the Alps on family vacation. I have seen snow dozens upon dozens of times but like it came out and then when you lie like that you can't take it back and of course to Dan this was crazy you know snow had taught him so much about the meaning of life he couldn't believe that I'd never experienced it and how is that even possible we live in Washington state it snows here (laughs) and so I make up this huge elaborate lie about how you know I had moved to Spain and so I'd missed most of the snow and and, you know, during the winters, we were always family vacation. I mean, I just went on and on with more and more examples as to why I had very logically never gotten the chance to see snow. And so then Dan said, Elna, the mountains are only three hours away. We should just go to the mountains. And, you know, I'm making this pro-con list in my head as to, you know, mathematically speaking, three hours there, three hours on the way back, the odds of us making out are much higher. So I was like, yes, let's go to the mountains. Let's go see snow. 
and three hours later, we get to the base of Mount Rainier. And of course, like when you see, when you get to the base of the mountain, it's not like all of a sudden there's snow. You start to see little patches of it. So I'm in the, the passenger seat being like, oh, it's, oh, 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 <laughs> And Dan is like, no, not yet. And I remember he tossed his sweater over my head to cover my head. Uh, and then 20 minutes later, the car came to a stop and I, he excitedly got out, went to the passenger side, opened my door. During the car ride, I'd sort of been practicing my set. You know, do you say it like, like you're saying amen at the end of a prayer, like a snow? Or do you say it like, you know, surprise at a surprise party? We're like, snow! So I sort of went with like possible reaction 17, where I did the whole Macaulay Culkin face with my hands up. And I was like, snow! And then I put my arms out and like, it was terrible. It was like the most melodramatic performance. But like Dan bought it. He loved every single minute. And so then uh, he said, uh, race you through the trees. So I just immediately start running. And I remember catching a glimpse of him running behind me and just the daydream of it all, where it all seemed so impossible that I had even gotten myself here with this person I'd been imagining sequences with. And there's just like, okay, it's gonna happen. He's gonna pull my hand, he'll twirl me back in, there'll be snow, we'll kiss, it's beautiful. And instead of watching where I was going, I was playing all of this out in my head and I did not see the tree that had fallen. And I went flying, like catapulted into the air, like rolled three times and hit into a rock. And my hand immediately went to my head and then Dan ran over and he's like, are you okay? And trying not to laugh, is everything all right? And I remember like we'd never been this close. I mean, he's literally inches from my face, like staring into my eyes. And that if there was ever any moment, this would be it. And as I'm thinking this, I feel in my hand this sort of warm liquid. And I know without having to look that I'm bleeding. So I'm just sort of willing back the blood, hoping that he'll kiss me. And yet I see in his reaction, you know, his face goes from this sort of like genuine concern to total shock at the same time that I feel this bead of liquid <laughs> sliding down my face. And he's like, oh my God, you're bleeding. And I take my hand off and I'm not just bleeding, I'm like gushing blood. Uh, he's like, you know, we got to get back to the car. We have to find something, put pressure on it. And uh, so I stand up and, of course, my ankle, which is what I caught on the, is completely, like, I can't hardly walk. And so he's like, you know what, I'll just carry you, which is, like, never a good idea when you're fat because people think that they can carry you, but they can't. So I'm like, no, please don't carry me. It'll be fine. Uh, and I started trying to pack snow into snowballs and hold it onto my head, which, of course, just melted. So there's just this, like, orangey blood <laughs> flowing. So Dan, uh, so I'm like, just go back to the car, get something, come back. And he's like, no, you'll pass out. Please, please let me carry you. So he reaches his hand under my butt to pick me up. And I'm like, no, stop, stop. And then I, and I um, regretted this decision immediately after and, and due to this day. But I said, um, I was like, wait, I have a pad in my pocket and I can use that. So I reached into my pocket, removed this maxi pad, unwrapped it, pulled out the wings, and stuck it onto my forehead to absorb the blood. The reaction in his face pretty much told me it ruined all chances of romantic action. In high school, after this happened, we were still sort of friends, but it was awkward because it was like we never talked about the thing that had happened, and he nicknamed me Patty after the maxi pad and sometimes in the hall you'd be like hey patty and when people would ask why i was like it's my middle name it's patricia <laughs> which is not true things got a little too risky so now i'm drinking whiskey 
Listening to stories of people being sorry Just like me Jordan Cooper, Drinking Deep There. And before that, Elna Baker. Her book, The New York Regional Mormon Singles Halloween Dance, is out right now. Greg Wallach has our next story. Now, the first thing people notice about Greg when he's on stage is that he has cerebral palsy. But then they notice he's a huge talent. And here he is telling his story, Solitary Man, at the Risk Live show in New York. A couple of months ago, I had one of those days where I finally got home to my apartment and I was like, oh, it is so good to be here. Just close the door and get away from the city. And I just crashed on the couch and I was not going to move no matter what happened. And right then, my cell phone rang and it was this guy, Troy, and I kind of have a crush on him. And he said, "Um, Greg. It's my birthday, and we're having a birthday party. So come down and celebrate with us. And um, I live all the way up on 137th Street and Broadway, and he was having his birthday down on like Avenue B and 9th Street. (laughs) And I did kind of have a crush on him, so my horniness kind of welled up in me and got me off of the couch. And it's a lot easier to go out when you think, you know, you might get some. So uh, I got off the couch and headed down to Avenue B and like 9th Street to go to his birthday party. And I got a little gift on the way. And uh, I go in and he says, oh, my God, Greg, I am so glad that you're here. There's this really cute guy over at the bar that I have a crush on. And... (laughs) And I'm too nervous to talk to him. What do you think I should do? And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck? But, but on the outside, like a good friend, I just switch gears. And suddenly, I'm like playing the Janine Garofalo part. And uh, I say, like, you know, it, it's OK. Life is short. You should just go for it. You know, talk to him. That's what you feel. That's what you want to do. So he walks over to the bar and starts talking to the guy. And then he turns around and he gives me a thumbs up, like, it's going really great. And uh, I have a drink, and then I just leave his gift on the bar, and I decide to go. And it's pretty late at night. It's about 12.45 by now. And I want to get over to Avenue A because uh, I'm starving, and I wanted to go to San Loco. And, I looked over and the gates to Tompkins Square Park were open. And I know that back in the day, Tompkins Square Park had kind of a bad reputation, but on this particular night, it looked downright inviting. So I walked through the gates on the Avenue B side and I'm walking through the park and it's so amazing because I'm completely alone. And I'm walking through thinking, this is great. This is exactly what I wanted. Here I am in the middle of this big city, and I'm all by myself. Solitude, it's amazing. And then I get to the Avenue A side, and this really weird thing happened. The gates on the Avenue A side were closed. And I thought, huh, that is really strange. Why would they have the gates on the Avenue B side open, but the gates on the Avenue A side are closed? That doesn't make any sense. 
So even though it was kind of a drag, you know, I thought, well, yeah, I'll turn around and I'll walk back and come out the way that I came in. So I start walking back to the Avenue B side and solitude, it's not that great this time. And uh, <laughs> I get over to the Avenue B side and the gates I walked in were closed. And I'm thinking, that is really weird. And I don't panic quite yet. I just slowly walk around the perimeter of the entire park and all the gates are closed. And I think, oh, fuck. I am locked in Tompkins Square Park. And so immediately I reach in my bag to grab my cell phone, but it's dead. Great, AT&T is fucking me yet again. <laughs> So I go over to the to the Avenue B gate and, and I just think, well, I'll just ask someone for their phone when they walk by. So people would walk by and I'd reach out and I'd go, uh, ex excuse me, excuse me. And people would be like, no, no, not interested, not interested, no. And they would walk on by. And I must have yelled out to about 20 different people and everybody kept walking by. And I just was like, well, it is like around one in the morning now. I mean, I don't know, maybe I could just find a bench and sit down and, you know, just stay there until morning. It won't be that bad. <laughs> and then I was like, Greg, no, that's cr like homeless crazy talk. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, you have to get out of this park. So right then I see these two guys sort of ambling up the sidewalk and they're actually, actually close enough that if I crouched down, I could sort of reach out and grab them as they walked by, you know? <laughs> so they're sort of talking, going up the sidewalk, and I kind of, I crouch down a little bit so they can't see that somebody's there. Then when they walk by, I reach out and I grab one of their coats and they're like, oh, what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to scare you, but listen, I walked in the Avenue B side of Tompkins Square Park. I walked all the way over to Avenue A and the gates were closed. I turned around and I walked back. And then when I, by the time I got back, the gates I came in were closed. I need to get out of Tompkins Square Park. I'm locked in. And these guys were really stoned. I could smell it on them. And one of them started laughing so hard, he fell on the ground and he was like, oh my God, that is the funniest fucking thing I have ever heard in my life. And he says, dude, how are you gonna get out of there? <laughs> and I was like, I was hoping that you could help me with that. So he and his friend are like, listen, listen, this is what we're gonna do, check it out, check it out. We're gonna lock our hands, we're gonna put them through the gate and we'll lock our hands and then you'll step on our hands and we'll just sort of like throw you up over the top of the gate. It'll totally work and I'm thinking, there's no way that is gonna work, but that's exactly the kind of thing you think might work when you're really high. So, but I'm game and I just wanna get out of there. So I say, all right, I'll, I'll try it. And um, they lock their hands together and I step on one and I step on the other and they're really straining. And they're like, wow, you are a lot heavier than you look. And, they only get me maybe like half a foot off the ground and they're like dude this is not happening at all so they're like check it out check it out this is what we're gonna do we're going over to a party on avenue a and if <laughs> and if we see anyone 
we'll tell him that we saw a guy locked in the park. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, please, please. And then they sort of amble off and uh, I'm standing there thinking, I, I'm never gonna get out of here. This is like a bad situation. And uh, sure enough, about a half an hour later, a cop car rolls up and the cop gets out of the car and he's being really funny, you know, and he says, uh, well, looks like someone got locked in the park. And I, and I was like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I, could you let me out? And he's just being cute. He says, well, before I let you out, how much money you got? And I said, money? I don't have any money. How do you feel about sexual favors? And then, you know, you guys, he got really quiet. And he put his hands through the gate and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, my wife's six months pregnant. I'm about to bust a nut. I feel pretty good about sexual favors. <laughs> and I know this is the part where it's supposed to get all porno movie sexy. But it didn't, it was just super scary because I realized I am in the corner of Tompkins Square Park at 1.30 in the morning with a horny cop who hasn't had sex in six months. And then I said, well, you know, sir, I, I, I was just kidding. And he says, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, well, well, I was kidding too. I mean, yeah, I told you, I, I have a wife, I, I'm married. And, and that's just like a straight guy. You turn them down and they take it all back. <laughs> and then he just sort of takes his keys and he opens the gate and he lets me out. And as I walk up Avenue B, I think to myself, well, when the night began, I, all I wanted was some time alone and I was a little horny. So I guess the moral to the story is be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Thank you. us to the end of episode two of Risk. If you like the podcast, please spread the word. Risk is created and hosted by me, Kevin Allison, produced by Michelle Walson. Our sound engineer is Nick Montalbano. Our story editor is Lee Manansala. Our associate producers are Emily Altman and Tim Meehan. Visit us at www.risk-show.com and follow us at Risk Show on Twitter. This is Kevin Allison for Risk, and remember what the Nigerians say about Risk. He who carries the carcass of an elephant does not search for crickets with his legs. <laughs>